Is there a tax bomb hiding inside your retirement portfolio? This is Retirement Revealed, where Jeremy Kyle and his guests guide you towards making smarter retirement, investment, and tax planning decisions. Welcome to Retirement Revealed. I'm your host, Jeremy Kyle, and we're here to turn your retirement savings into retirement income. Today, we're talking with David McClellan about how you can avoid the huge tax bills and Medicare surcharges that some retirees are facing. David, tell us about this tax bomb. Yeah, happy to. And thank you for having me. This is an issue that I started uh, digging into several years ago when I was doing some research into uh, Medicare means testing. And I started to connect the dots between saving in tax deferred accounts and then eventually having to pay the piper in retirement when you need to start taking required minimum distributions. And a lot of this is really trying to challenge some of the conventional wisdom that baby boomers uh, have grown up with, in which we have been encouraged by everybody, whether it's uh, friends or coworkers or your CPA or talking head pundits to save every dollar that we could in tax deferred accounts. And uh, that is good from the perspective that you are saving for retirement. But for those who have been doing that for a long period of time, you're essentially building up a tax liability and that tax liability can snowball and keep growing in retirement. When you start taking RMDs from those accounts at age 73 or 75, then the uh, RMDs continue to get bigger and bigger and are, in many cases, pushing retirees into very high tax brackets and also creating other problems uh, with respect to Medicare means testing and eventually inherited tax liability uh, for their heirs. So it's a complicated problem uh, that needs some good financial planning and one that also uh, really is at the end of the day about trying to uh, smooth out taxes over the course of your life so that as much of the taxes that you uh, pay or as much of the income as you have as, as possible is in lower tax brackets. So you need to rethink uh, the traditional wisdom on on saving for retirement. Yeah, it's interesting. I do a lot of research, which is how I came across your article. I'm going to talk about that for a little bit. But when you just said uh, the RMDs can kick you to a higher tax rate, uh, I just, my, my, what I came from before this, before doing the podcast was meeting with a client and they're in a spot where they're basically at a 0% uh, tax rate and they will go to the 12% tax bracket with their required minimum distributions, but they're not paying 12% taxes. They're going to be paying 25% taxes on these required minimums because they are going from no taxes to a little bit of taxes which brings a little bit more in that becomes taxable and they're losing deductions. And so yeah. they they thought, okay, well, 12%, no big deal. Well, for this required minimum of 30,000 or so in their case, uh, it's a 25% tax hit just for the, the federal. But I'm kind of getting ahead of myself. I just It just happened just before I saw you. So I thought I'd uh, bring that up. But I like a lot of things you're saying, how the RMDs can snowball and a solution is to maybe smooth out the taxes over your lifetime. Those are great things to keep in mind. Uh, before yeah, we well, get into one, that. One thing that people have, um, a lot of people reached out to me after the Kiplinger articles and the, the common theme was, I've always had this fear 
about a retirement tax bomb, but I couldn't quite put my finger on why or what it really looks like over the course of retirement. And it really crystallized uh, the risk for people. And uh, you know, one of the things to realize about RMDs is just the math of how RMDs work, right? So when you take an RMD, you are essentially taking the year-end balance of your tax-deferred accounts uh, from the prior year, and then you're dividing that by your remaining life expectancy. Well, that numerator, if you have a positive investment return, which most people hope to have, keeps getting bigger. Meanwhile, your life expectancy every year gets smaller, right? So you're dividing a bigger number by an increasingly smaller number, and that's what creates this snowballing effect. I have many people who have reached out to me who've been great savers all their lives. They may have a million, two million, three million in tax deferred accounts. And if they're not careful and don't try to plan uh, for ways to reduce this uh, retirement tax bomb, they may be facing required minimum distributions that are many hundreds of thousands of dollars. And now you're looking at a situation when you add that income to uh, income like Social Security, where you may be in a 32 or 35% marginal tax bracket in retirement. Yeah, it's amazing. And that marginal bracket or marginal rate is really what what counts. And, and that's where you've got uh, kind of income stacked on top of income deductions that you're, you're losing. I really want to hone in on this RMD part of it, but let's just tell everyone all about you and how you ended up writing an article series. This is like 10 different articles that you wrote for, for Kiplinger. And of course, we'll, we'll uh, link to all those in the show notes. Yeah. Uh, so I'm a partner at a registered investment advisory firm out of Chicago called Forum Financial Management. Uh, I've been with Forum uh, practicing as an advisor for about seven years. Uh, but before that, I was an executive at Morningstar and Pershing uh, and spent most of my career uh, around that essentially delivering technology for advisors to do their jobs better, right? So I've seen, you know, all over the industry and had a lot of perspective on that. Uh, I've also been working uh, as head of wealth management for a technology company called Ivante uh, that uses artificial intelligence to predict lifetime medical expenses. And so that is also a kind of nagging worry that a lot of retirees have is, you know, my, my medical expenses are the thing that uh, has the biggest risk of, of just exploding on me in retirement. And so with my role at Ivante, I started digging into uh, the topic of Medicare means testing. And it was fascinating because because most advisors, you know, if, they, if you think about Medicare means testing, uh, you really only kind of stumble on it and you don't think about it as sort of what are the implications from a long-term planning perspective. And so I wrote a white paper for Ivante that dove into Medicare means testing and uh, the interaction uh, between that and um, requirement distributions and some of the history of, of Medicare and, and how that program works. And so let, let me maybe dive a little bit into what Medicare means testing is, because a lot of uh, investors may not be familiar with that term. Um, but basically, it's, it's also called uh, IRMA surcharges, uh, income adjusted. Uh, I can't even remember what the, the acronym stands for now. 
income related Medicare adjustment amount adjustment, or something, something yeah, like that. Yeah. And, There's and too and many A's in there. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I, I call it Medicare means testing. Um, but yeah, basically, uh, you know, as some people may be aware, Social Security and Medicare programs uh, are under significant fiscal uh, issues and insolvency issues. And Medicare is actually in worse shape than Social Security. And so uh, one of the ways uh, in which politicians have tried to solve that problem is through Medicare means testing, which essentially means that we're going to, the government's going to reduce the subsidy because for most retirees, Medicare Part B, which is the hospitalization portion and is the most, has the most expensive premium, uh, for most people, uh, the government is actually subsidizing the cost of it by 75%. With Medicare means testing, essentially what they are saying is, well, we, if you're, if you're high income, then you're going to pay more. We're going to reduce that subsidy. And so, um, you know, most people who are in retirement who don't face the RMDs, it may not be an issue because they're not going to get into high enough income in order to trigger that. So as an example, in 2023, if your modified adjusted gross income and your married filing jointly is below 194,000, then you pay the normal Part B premium, which is about $1,979. But uh, as your income rises, that Part B premium, and this is per person, can rise to $6,726. So uh, depending, and means testing applies to Part B and Part D. Part D is the drug uh, portion of, of Medicare, and, and those premiums are significantly smaller. So most of the issue is really around Part B premiums. But if you have a lot of RMDs, then you may end up paying four to six times more on Part B premiums than everybody else. And uh, you know when you add that up uh, for two people, say you're a married couple, uh, over the course of say a 30 year retirement, it makes a big big difference. Um, and so Medicare doesn't have any uh, Medicare solvency doesn't have any sort of simple solutions, um, just like Social Security. But I think the thing that is the most politically palatable is make the wealthy people pay more. And so I think this is something that uh, as we get closer and closer to uh, a solvency uh, explosion on Medicare, then we're going to end up uh, potentially seeing uh, current means testing even be more severe than it is today. Uh, so does that make sense in terms of what Medicare means testing is and, and sort of how it works? Yes, yeah, it's, it's interesting because so many people aren't even aware that Medicare has a cost until you get there and you yeah. turn 65 and you have to pay for Part B, even if you're on the Medicare Advantage plans, there's no way of getting around that. If you're on Part B, you pay the the premium piece of it. And then the Medicare means testing, like I uh, I like that you, you say it that way because that's really what it is. That's really sneaky too because it's not until in this year that your, your income's above 194000 which is which is a very high number. Most people, most retirees don't get there until yeah. you take out your required minimum distribution or yep. you take out the extra money for one year because you you know did a home renovation or you bought a car. And then mm -hmm. it's sneaky on you because it, it shows up two years down the road, right? You did it in 2021. It shows up in 2023. It shows up two years down yeah. the road. 
And yeah, even there, then there's, hearing there's it, two, most people look back on on that. So, for example, your 2023 Medicare premiums are based off of your 2021 income. Yeah, and even then, most people look at it and say, "Well, you know, if you made 200 grand, like, come on, you can pay a little bit more." But where I think the 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 biggest part and why you need to plan ahead for is yes, that's the case. You made 200 grand, you can pay a little bit more for your Medicare. I, I can understand that. But then you go from a married couple to one person, the widow most likely, and that gets cut in half as far as the threshold. Now we're talking 97,000. And so most yeah. people I run into do not have the Medicare means testing problem uh, unless they have the extra money out. You know, So it's only a problem for one year. But then, boom, somebody dies. You have lost a little bit of Social Security, and your widow is permanently in that Medicare means testing on there. That's why I'm glad yeah. you're, you're really talking about yeah, that. Yeah, that, that's a great risk. I, I refer to that as the widow tax. And yes. uh, you know, part of it is that you know, the, the R&Ds that you have, they're not getting reduced, but now you're, all, you're all basically applying them against the single filer tax table. Uh, rather than married filing jointly. But then the other aspect of that is you may have inherited uh, IRAs from the deceased spouse. So you know now you've essentially got uh, even even more. And so especially for couples who uh, perhaps one uh, person is significantly older than the other or one has significantly worse health than the other, I think that uh, widow tax is is a definite planning consideration. Yeah, and speaking of the the widow tax, which is not an official tax, but it sure happens. Uh, yeah. Another tax, which is not somewhat of an official tax, is is kind of the beneficiary tax. And you talk about that, where your money that you've saved in your IRA, traditional accounts, that'll be paid. Tax will be paid on that, whether you pay it or your beneficiaries pay it. And most people that walk into my office, I'm not sure how it is with you, but uh, they walk in the office saying, I'm worried about estate taxes. I don't want my kids to pay estate taxes. Well, yeah. unless you have over $26 million as a couple, you don't have to worry about estate taxes right now. And they kind of forget about the income tax part. They might be walking in with like a, a $400,000 tax bill on their big IRA and kind of ignoring it. And they're focused on the estate tax issue, which probably isn't going to isn't going to matter for them. So tell us more about the the income taxes that your heirs will pay on your traditional yeah. IRA and kind of how the rules change too. Yeah. So the inherited tax liability is, is the third major risk that I talk about uh, with respect to retirement tax bombs. And, uh, you know, this is, uh, this is a first world problem, right? Um, so, you know, you're talking about uh, the scenario in which your tax deferred accounts, even after taking RMDs, continue to grow and grow uh, over a 30 or 40 year retirement. And then uh, when you die, then you know most people end up passing those accounts to their kids. And so the kids inherit the tax liability. But again, Uncle Sam wants to get paid and the tax liability still hasn't been paid. So uh, your heirs inherit that. Now, under the current RMD rules, um, you the, the rules used to be what was referred to as a stretch IRA, where essentially you could uh, take the RMDs based off of your own life expectancy, and your kids are going to have a longer life expectancy because because you're you're younger. Um, but now uh, the new rules basically have a ten year 
uh, distribution window. There's some flexibility as to how much you take every year, but within 10 years, you have to drain the entire account, right? So imagine you inherited a $2 million uh, IRA, again, first world problem, but if you if that account did not grow at all and you just took one-tenth of it every single year, that's $200,000 of taxable income. And oh, by the way, that's probably coming out when that child is nearing retirement or early in retirement. Uh, they have their own tax liability from uh, savings. So it's enough to really throw uh, kids into a very high tax bracket. Uh, so that's uh, another consideration for many people, another reason why you may want to uh, try to reduce that tax liability, uh, because most people don't want their kids to inherit that liability. It's Jeremy Kyle here, and I know you're listening to the Retirement Reveal podcast because you want to learn more about making great retirement decisions. I've created a free video course for you to do just that. Head over to 5stepretirementplan.com and sign up to receive this video training right in your email inbox. We broke down our 5-step retirement plan into bite-sized videos so you can get started on the retirement, investment, and tax planning you need to create a consistent retirement income. Go to 5stepretirementplan.com. Use the number or spell it out. You'll get there either way. 5stepretirementplan.com. Thanks for listening. And now for the rest of the show. Yeah, it really just shows how you've got your own ability to plan for it, where before you hit that that RMD age, before somebody gets widowed, before the kids inherit him, you've got a lot of time ahead of that to really plan it out. And the, the, the first solution really a lot of times is Roth conversions, where you just plan it out, you intentionally take taxes from your traditional IRA, you move it to the Roth IRA. And I think most people are, are aware of that. So I'm, gonna, I'm just going to make an assumption, do Roth conversions, you plan it out, you know how to do it. But you bring up another point in your articles, and again, we're going to link to all these, uh, about something called asset location. And I feel as if that's not being talked about as much. Uh, can you share with us a little bit about the asset location, how that can help out with this, this issue? Yeah, absolutely. So th there's three strategies that I talk about in those articles. The, the first is essentially shifting your contributions from pre-tax dollars to uh, after-tax Roth dollars. So you're building a tax-free asset and instead of building a a tax liability. The second is asset location. And the third is, is annual Roth conversions. But let me say one thing about the, the Roth conversions uh, briefly, and then I'll, I'll switch to asset location. So you know, Roth conversions uh, is uh, something that you might consider doing every year. But for most of my clients, we're looking at doing that early in retirement, um, before social security income kicks in, before RMD uh, income kicks in uh, because you may be, you know, in your late fifties or early sixties, and you're at your peak earning years. Uh, that's generally not a good time to do Roth conversions because it, every dollar that you convert from pre-tax to, to Roth is a dollar of taxable income, right? So if you've got a, uh, if you're making a lot in your your job, you don't want to add. Uh, you know, the the Roth conversion income on top of that. So, you know, I develop plans for people where we'll look at every single year early in retirement, how much can we uh, do Roth conversions to get rid of some of that tax liability? And you have to do a little bit uh, every year. So it, it's a complex planning problem. If you have a $2 million 
uh, IRA, again, you're not going to want to convert the whole thing to Roth. The The goal isn't to eliminate the, the tax liability. It's to smooth it out so that as much of your income as possible is being taxed at, at lower uh, tax rates. Let me explain asset location because uh, asset location is not a term that many investors know about. Uh, and I've found that uh, most advisors uh, don't pay uh, much attention to it as well. So most people are familiar with the term asset allocation. So asset allocation uh, at a very simple level, it would be like a, a 60% stock, 40% bond allocation, right? That's a very common um, uh, investment strategy. Um, asset allocation can be more granular than that. There are many sub-asset classes. You, know, you could add real estate or growth stocks or value stocks. There's there's a bunch of different uh, options, but people are generally familiar with that. Um, and asset allocation has the, the benefit of diversification, right? And, and reducing risk. Asset location uh, as a concept means that you should essentially put different asset classes into different tax buckets because different asset classes have different expected returns, right? So stocks have a higher historical return, higher expected return than bonds do. And even within stocks, there are different sub-asset classes that have uh, higher returns than others. So most people, if they are following a, an investment strategy, say you're in that 60-40 uh, portfolio, 60% stocks, 40% bonds, you're essentially implementing that same 60-40 allocation in every tax bucket, whether it's a Roth IRA, whether it's a pre-tax IRA, whether it's a brokerage account, you're doing the same 60-40 allocation. That is ignoring tax efficiency, right? So what you want to do is put your highest expected return assets into tax-free Roth accounts because you want that pool of tax-free money to grow as much as possible. And you want to put your assets that have the lowest expected return into your pre-tax accounts because that essentially is reducing the growth of the associated liability. So going back to that 60% stock, 40% bond portfolio, ideally you would want to put all of the bond exposure into your tax deferred accounts and then fill in your stock uh, holdings into both Roth accounts and taxable accounts like brokerage accounts. Uh, so that's the concept of asset uh, location. It can be more difficult to implement. Um, this is often where uh, working with an advisor uh, can help out. Another aspect on the implementation is that it helps to have a very asset class pure investments, right? Uh, rather than something that is uh, blending a bunch of, of different asset classes into the same product. So as an example, a target date fund, which many people uh, have in their investment portfolios, uh, is going to have a mix of stocks and bonds. And because it has a mix, you can't really asset locate that. Uh, but if you had that split out to you had a broadly diversified stock fund and uh, a bond fund, then you could put that bond fund into the tax deferred uh, account and the stocks uh, fund into, uh, say, your Roth account. Yeah, I appreciate that uh, reminder on the Roth conversions and especially that uh, kind of info on the asset location part of it. That asset location is something that I think is uh, highly important and we're keeping an eye on 
uh, in our office. So I'm just writing out a note for myself to, to double check each area on there because you've got the idea that your stocks really ought to be as best as you can in the Roth and the brokerage. Your bonds and your cash really ought to be as best you can in the traditional uh, IRA. And another part too is if you have any investment fees in a Roth IRA, uh, you would want them actually paid by your brokerage account if you could. Yeah, you, yeah that's a great just, point. That's that's for the Roth as much as possible, right? Yeah, that's forum's policy on on billing. Uh, we try to avoid ever taking fees out of tax free accounts like Roth IRAs or HSAs or five twenty nines. We always try to uh, bill those out of the brokerage account. Yeah, I did like how you said it gets a little difficult sometimes because the try to, it might happen some of the time, but a lot of times when you have a, a mixture of traditional and Roth and nothing in a, a non-IRA type account, which is really most people, uh, that's a tough one to make happen uh, with the regulations on there, but you want to look at it, which is what you said with your Roth conversions. You ought to consider a Roth conversion every single year. Myself, I'm years away from retiring. I'm considering a Roth conversion every single year. Doesn't mean I'll, I'll do it, but I'm considering, is this a good year uh, to do it? I'm planning that out ahead of time to see, should I do this or not do it? Another thing you mentioned, uh, and I really like, I want to keep uh, pointing this out, is you you mentioned that smoothing out your taxes over your lifetime is really a good way to kind of lower your taxes over your lifetime. And I'll give you a quick example. We've got 98% of our clients say, You've got, uh, I've got financial questions on Roths and Social Security and Medicare and on my investments. Can you just take care of it all together? That happens 98% of the time. We've got a few people that come in and say, I want some advice on the Roths and Social Security and conversions and Medicare, but I want to do the investing on my own. And we, we do that uh, because we want them to get great advice. We do find that getting things done and making things happen actually works better when they have their investments with us as well. And I'm just thinking of a, a lady just two years ago where we met in November and we had planned out uh, with her that yes, you ought to do uh, Roth conversions. There was some really large Roth conversions and she went and did those in December and we said, yeah, do some this year, do some the, the next year on it. So we call her up in, in January to see uh, how we can help her with those Roth conversions. And she said, oh, well, I just I just figured I'll take care of it all at once. So I just did it all at once. Well, she pushed herself out of the 24% bracket into the 32% bracket. And I, I did the math. It was about 11,000 extra of taxes uh, yeah. because she kicked herself up to the next tax bracket thinking, I'll just make this all happen at once. Uh, smoothing it out, doing it slowly over time is mostly... Uh, the answer. I'm thinking of her in particular, it, it was the answer. So consider the Roth conversion every year. Earlier is likely better and slowly, smoothly over time is likely better. Those are kind of the, the principles I'm I'm getting out of uh, your your ideas right there. Yeah. Well, and on Roth conversions, like, well, every client situation is is unique, right? Yes, for sure. So, um, you, you ideally are, are really diving into the details there. But as a generalization, you know, most people in their 40s, 50s, and 60s are sort of in their peak earning years, right? Yes. right? So uh, if you're in your 20s or your 30s and, and you're listening to this and you're like, oh, no, I save pre-tax all the time, you're probably still earlier in your career. You probably have a lower uh, income than uh, you will at some point. So that's a good time to do Roth conversions. That way, you know, if you're 30 and you do some Roth conversions, uh, you've got 30 years probably of uh, growth on that tax-free money 
instead mm-hmm. of growing the tax liability. Uh, so it, it, Roth conversions can be a great um, strategy for younger people uh, as well. Uh, the other thing on Roth conversions uh, to consider is uh, in in a bear market, uh, that can be a good time to do Roth conversions uh, because for whatever dollar amount that you are are converting, you are essentially getting rid of a greater percentage of the associated tax liability. Yeah, yeah right on. Definitely. And that's why um, when I came across your article, series of articles, which is great, I thought I've got to get David on the uh, the show here to talk this through because you've really thought it out, researched it out. Of course, you research it. You're, you worked at Morningstar for quite some time. They are like the top level of research in the investment uh, industry yeah. uh, over there. Well, I've got one more question for you, David. But before that, tell us what's the best way to reach out to you? Yeah, if you're interested in these topics and you want a, uh, a consult um, about what kind of retirement tax uh, bomb you may be sitting on or how to strategize uh, around uh, mitigating that risk, uh, you can either call or email me. Uh, My phone number is 312-933-8823. And my email is dmcclellan, that's D-M-C-C-L-E-L-L-A-N at forumfinancial.com. Uh, or you can find me on LinkedIn. I uh, have a lot of posts on on topics on on LinkedIn, and, and my uh, LinkedIn page also uh, has some uh, other related content. Great, yeah, we'll uh, put links to that all too, and definitely reach out to, to David with questions. And of course, if you'd like more ideas on how to avoid big retirement mistakes, go ahead right now, click that subscribe button, or just uh, comments or email. Put put a comment in the um, comments there, or email me at podcast at kylefp com with any questions or maybe even ideas for topics you'd like to have uh, on the show. Well, David, we've got a uh, final question for you. Tell us something about yourself that few people know about. And remember, this podcast is rated clean. <laughs> um, I'm a diehard Texas Longhorn fan. We've been wandering in the wilderness uh, on football for about 10 years now, but we're finally good again. And I was a, uh, a swimmer at the University of Texas and was part of several national championship uh, swimming teams. So that's that's why my my blood uh, is burnt orange. Oh, that's great. Uh, good to hear it. Uh, uh, do you still swim at all? Yeah. Yeah, I, I swim masters uh, probably three days a week at, at lunch, uh, do about 3,000 yards uh, with some other uh, former swimmers. Um, it's, it's great exercise, keeps me physically and mentally um, in a good place. So uh, swimming is a great sport. Oh yeah, definitely. I um I got out of it with uh, COVID. I need to get back into it. Uh, just you know, get that break in there. And it was such a, a fun thing to, for me. I actually learned how to swim as an adult, and so um, that's hard. Just, uh, it is. It was hard, and uh, it's just a uh, you're you're another reminder that I need to get back into swimming. I, I'm gonna send you a link to a. Uh, podcast I did with Paul Kingsman, who won the bronze medal in the Olympic, uh, uh, in the, I think it was the 1980 or 84 Olympics. Uh, and he, he was great uh, person. If you haven't come across Paul Kingsman, David, you got to, uh, connect with him. I'll, uh, I'll yeah, put, yeah. Send me the link. Love, out love to to that. Awesome. Great. Well, thanks for coming on telling us all about how to, uh, I guess, diffuse the tax bomb in your portfolio before, before it goes off. Right. Yeah. Well, thank you for having me, Jeremy. It was a lot of fun. And uh, I hope uh, that more people uh, get to hear about this topic so that they can start uh, planning and preparing uh, for it. 
Yeah, definitely. Well, thank you. And thank you for listening to the Retirement Reveal Podcast. We believe if you know more about your money, you'll feel better about your money and you will make better money decisions. Forum Financial Management is registered as an investment advisor with the Securities and Exchange Commission. The information herein is for educational purposes only and is not intended to provide specific advice for any particular person or situation. We believe the information provided is accurate and reliable, but do not warrant it as to completeness or accuracy. We encourage you to speak with a qualified professional regarding your financial situation. For more information, visit Forum's website at forumfinancial.com. This was another great episode of the Retirement Revealed podcast. Click on the subscribe button below to automatically get our latest episodes. If you liked our show and want even more, please give us a rating and a review at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. We would love to hear from you. Please go to retirement-revealed.com to learn more and send us your questions and feedback. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Kyle Financial Partners, Thrivent, or its affiliates. The guests are not affiliated with or endorsed by Thrivent Advisor Network. Kyle Financial Partners does not provide legal accounting or tax advice. Consult your attorney or tax professional. Representatives have general knowledge of the Social Security tenants. For details on your situation, contact the Social Security Administration. Kyle Financial Partners is part of the Thrivent Advisor Network, a registered investment advisor. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investment advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have with your investment planning. Advisory persons of Thriven provide advisory services under a doing business as name or may have their own legal business entities. However, advisory services are engaged exclusively through Thrivent Advisor Network LLC, a registered investment advisor. Kyle Financial Partners and Thrivent Advisor Network LLC are not affiliated companies. Information in this message is for the intended recipients only. Please visit our website, www.kylefp.com, for important disclosures.